You good? All right. Here we go. <clears throat> Speed. Three, two, one. Welcome back to the Mission Story Slam podcast brought to you by PWP Video. I'm Michael Schweisheimer, the executive producer of PWP Video and Mission Story Slam. We started Mission Story Slam to share the stories of the organizations that we serve at PWP Video. Those include nonprofits, B corporations, triple bottom line companies, and sustainable organizations. People who are on a mission to make the world a better place. We used to gather in person at a brewery in Philadelphia and pick the names of 10 storytellers out of a hat and enjoy their stories as they competed for a $250 donation to their favorite nonprofit. The crowd would also select a favorite story for a $100 donation. But like everything else, the pandemic changed everything. We had our first virtual story slam in April of 2020 and another as part of First Person Arts 2021 Spring Festival. But what have you done for me lately, you ask? Well, at PWP Video, we have been so busy helping nonprofits with virtual events, videos, and podcasts during the pandemic, we didn't have time to do our own. But we've staffed up and are trying to slow down enough to take care of our own personal passion projects. And that's how we made it back into your podcast feed. And now we're very excited to share that Mission Story Slam 7 is officially scheduled for Wednesday evening, September 21st. The theme is Thrive, and Chris Satula will be back as our in-person MC at Yards Brewing in Philadelphia, and we're going hybrid with a live stream for our broader community around the country and world. Hello, Hunter in Australia. Tickets are now on sale at missionstoryslam.org. We also have a special Story Slam brewing for the B Corp community on November 30th as part of B Lab's Champions Retreat. More information on that will be posted on the website soon. By the way, I have to share just yesterday, PWP Video was officially recertified as a B Corp for the third time since 2012, and we earned our highest score to date at 99.3. I really want to thank PWP Chris Marston for all of his hard work helping us complete our recertification journey. Those of you who know will understand. So yeah, we've been busy, and I know all of you have been too. So I'd like to get to today's guest by telling you the story of how we met. I mentioned that we've been growing our team, and our most recent hire is Jenny Smith. And something that excited her about PWP was Mission Story Slam, because Jenny's big volunteer passion is working on the upcoming Philadelphia edition of a storytelling event called This Is My Brave. The mission of This Is My Brave is to empower individuals to put their names and faces on their true stories of recovery from mental illness and addiction. And since 2014, they have produced over 75 unique shows in cities across the United States, featuring nearly 875 storytellers. Another tip for Hunter from Down Under, their international partner is also in Australia. So I think now is a good time to give a trigger warning. Today's episode will include references to suicide and mental illness. If you need any support, the new number for the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, which is available 24 hours a day, is 988. So again, that's 988. Eight. So listen, the next thing you know, Jenny agreed to join our team, and you can come meet her on September 21st at Yards, or you can find her at the This Is My Brave, the show in Philadelphia at the Ambler Theater on Sunday, October 9th. But now, not only is PWP a sponsor of that Brave show, but we'll be videotaping and sending out a live stream of the event too, which is how I found myself on a Zoom call with today's guest, Aaron Gallagher, who is the executive director of This Is My Brave. I'm going to let Erin's story from a 2019 Brave event explain why she became a passionate mental health advocate. 
I want to be completely honest with you because I want you to be completely honest with yourselves. I never, ever thought that I would lose a child to suicide. It wasn't a possibility. It was never on my worry list. And it's not like I was a mom who didn't have a worry list. I did. It was extensive. I worried about everything. I worried about SIDS and falls and head injuries and abduction, illnesses like meningitis and flu, school shootings, terrorist attacks. I could go on and on. Suicide just wasn't a consideration. That was something that other families had to worry about. Does that sound familiar? How about this? At back to school night several years ago, the health and PE teachers announced that one entire unit in the ninth grade would now be dedicated to mental health. I was so glad to hear that. That is such an important addition to the curriculum. There are kids out there who will really benefit from that, I thought to myself, smugly. Or on the occasion that my kids would come off the bus and tell me they'd seen on Twitter that a student at a nearby school had died from suicide. I'd be so sad for that student, for that family. But then they would add these details that seemed to explain things. They'd say, he was always in trouble, or I heard his girlfriend just broke up with him, or she'd attempted before. Oh, I see. As if, what, it all made sense then? No, certainly not. But those explanations gave me reasonable justification to file those stories away, far, far away from my worry list, in a drawer that I labeled other people's problems, in a folder marked, too bad. Isn't this how we protect ourselves? It's pretty clear from that list that I could find any reason as a mom to worry. So if there was one thing that I could strike from that list, wouldn't I be better off? So I reassured myself with one of the most self-righteous things a parent can say. I said to myself, my kids would never do that. And then I followed it up with, that will never happen to us. And yet, here I stand. I lost a child to suicide. And in Jay's case, there's just no simple explanation for his death. He wasn't always in trouble. His girlfriend didn't just break up with him. He hadn't attempted before. In fact, he was a pretty cool kid. He was smart and funny and active in school. He was part of the varsity golf team. He was in the improv group in the engineering club. He was applying to college. He'd just gotten his permit to operate, his learner's permit to operate a motorcycle and was hoping that his dad and I would buy him one for graduation. So his death was a complete shock to us and to our community. I just want to start by 
thanking you, Aaron, so much for letting us share your story and for your encouragement to let our loved ones know that it's important to say that I don't feel like myself and I think I need some help. Yeah, of course. I just want to remind our listeners that 988 has been designated as a new three-digit dialing code that will route callers to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. I think this is really big news because that dialing code became available to everyone across the U.S. just starting this past July 16th. Yeah. So exciting about that because that old number, I'm sure it helped a lot of people. And there was that guy who did a song about it, but it, it was very hard to remember. So 988 is definitely an easy number to remember, and I hope that it will be put to good use. Very glad. I know that that whole change has been in the works for many years, and it's really important. So in terms of important, in your story, I think one of the things that was really moving was that you really didn't have indications for yourself that there was so much crisis. Right. Do you mind if we talk a little bit about Jay? I don't want to assume. No, of course. I love talking about Jay. He was a really incredible, dynamic young man. Nice looking kid, very active in his in school. He was a senior in high school when he died. He was making plans for his future. He was applying to college. He was on the varsity golf team. He was a part of the improv theater group at school. He was the president of the engineering club. And just I say all that to say that he was plugged in and engaged. I think I had the impression. I looked around a room and had to pick out the young people in the room who were suicidal. I wouldn't have picked Jay or anyone in really in his peer group, to be honest. I would have looked for more of an outward sign of of crisis, wearing their their emotions on their sleeves uh, or in their the way the clothes that they chose. You know, that was a very that was a stereotype that I possessed, and I think he probably thought that way too. So when he started having feelings of depression, I don't think he wanted to acknowledge them because he didn't want the label of being suicidal. He didn't feel like he fit the stereotype of a suicidal person. And he hid it. Maybe he thought he could overcome it on his own. So we as a family did talk occasionally about, you know, he said before that he had friends who talked about suicide. And we always said, that's terrible that we that person should get go get help. They need to talk to their parents. It never occurred to me, even when he was saying those things, that he might be himself suicidal. It was a shock to us. It was a shock to the community um, when he died, for sure. You know, I have this thought, like, did, I, did we do something wrong? Did we miss something? I, mean, I just think he was very good at covering it up. And I think he also was pretty self-reliant and thought he could get through it on his own. I'm, I'm really sorry that we don't get to see the person Jay was possibly going to become. I'm sorry that he wasn't able to overcome those challenges. That yeah. experienced that loss, I can't imagine. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the work that, that you have done. And I know your husband's been involved since losing Jay. And I'd like you to tell me a little bit about Jay Walkers, because I know you have something coming up. And I, I do love that name. But yeah, tell us what Thanks. Jay Walkers is. <laughs> Yeah. So after Jay died, we did take a pretty public platform, my husband and I, on suicide awareness and advocacy, what school systems should be doing to address threats of suicide 
in the school community. And I started talking about stigma and what could be done to overcome it. And I want to do something called jaywalkers, you know, where we walk the walk and we talk the talk about suicide. And we can't avoid saying the word Mm -hmm. and think that we're ever going to make progress in stemming the tide of suicide, unfortunately. So it's taken a few years for us to figure it all out. But this year will be our annual event. It's a virtual challenge in the month of September. And obviously, September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. So what we ask you to do if you sign up, we would encourage you to put together a team of walkers. And your goal as a team would be to walk 800,000 steps in the month of September, which sounds huge. It sounds like more than it is, though, doesn't it? Like it breaks down to be kind of doable. Yeah. If you have a team of 12, you can get it done. If everybody walks 2,200 steps a day, which is roughly a mile, that will get you to, at the end of the month, to 800,000 steps. And that will be a step for every person lost worldwide annually to suicide. So as you walk, you'll be honoring those lives. And as you talk and you raise awareness, share on social media, I hope that will just bring people's attention to the topic and start conversations. We can say the word suicide and we can talk about what needs to be done to prevent it so that hopefully we won't need this walk in a few years. We won't have 800,000 losses annually worldwide. It would be very nice if the number of steps can go down and never up. Right. And we all need the exercise, but yeah. Just shorten the duration. That's all. <laughs> get the yeah. get that number down. So um, speaking of numbers, I'm assuming there's a URL that would be the easiest place for people to find and get involved with Jaywalkers. So if you log on to thisismybrave.org forward slash J dash walkers. That will take you to the landing page. You scroll down at the bottom and you can click to register. Thank you for telling us a bit more about Jaywalkers. And I'd like to hear a little bit more about how your advocacy path led you to becoming the executive director of This Is My Brave. After Jay died, I I wanted to do something to encourage my daughters. I have two daughters. So I found This Is My Brave online, and they were selling brave beads, like a really nice little bracelet that has this little bee dangling off of it. So I ordered two brave bead bracelets. I didn't think at all that Jennifer Marshall herself, the founder, would be fulfilling the order for me. Someone's got to do it. So I, she called me one day and said, oh, hey, you know, I got your order and you know, I could drop it in the mail to you. But you just looks like you just live right down the street from me. Maybe we could just meet for coffee. So we met for coffee. I got the bracelets. We got to talking. That was probably 2017. And eventually our talking, she asked if I'd ever consider coming to work for This Is My Brave. At the time I was working in the corporate world, I worked for a franchise organization and I helped people who just bought into the franchise launch their businesses in their areas around the country. So it was a little bit like what was going on at This Is My Brave in that they were helping teams like our team in Philadelphia manage their shows and get them from the idea all the way to show date. But they were doing that from the headquarters. So I thought this is similar to what I already do for this franchise organization. And we talked about how I could come on board as a program manager to do that work. It took a little bit of getting to it. But in 2019, 
I started as a program manager and managed shows that were going on then around the country and then other things that came up with This Is My Brave. And then it was in 2022. Sorry, that's this year, 2021. Um, it's, it's all it's all blurred, isn't it? It's I know it's a it's big amazing. Blur. Yes, just one pandemic will do Pretty that much. to you. But anyhow, <laughs> so last year, I'm sorry. Yeah, last year, last summer, Jen announced that to us internally that she was interested in um, stepping away from the organization, and asked if I would be willing, interested in stepping up as the executive director, and so I. Said sure, yeah, let's try it. There you so go. the board had something to say about that too. So I've been named interim executive director for now, and and that was a one year contract. So we'll see what happens at the end of this year. It's all, that's for them to decide. I love how these journeys work. All you wanted was a couple bracelets, right? Yeah, <laughs> I just, know. You know, your whole know. world just ended up in this different place. It's so funny because I spent so much time, and maybe a lot of people do this, you know, in this pre-pandemic life too. I spent so much time thinking about the vision board of what my future would look like and how I was going to get there. And being the executive director of a nonprofit organization was always my dream job. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I don't know if I would have expected that from someone coming from like the world of franchises and a more corporate job. So that was really a one-off for me. I figured the corporate experience would give me the, I don't know, some chops to work with as I moved into the next step. It was kind of a strategic step over move. I don't know. It wasn't really for me. I didn't really love it. So, um, but once, you know, once Jay died, that changed everything really. I didn't have any desire to be a part. It was really even hard to get back to work Can't at all. Imagine. Yeah. It, so it took probably a year. I, at the one year mark, I took a job in a coffee shop. I managed a coffee shop which was mission-minded. It was a part of a nonprofit organization, so it fit. But it was just a step away from the grind. And when I took the job with Brave, I really just wanted to be a part of this work that I knew changed people's lives. I know we, we have so many people who have said that they, in their life trajectory, that they can po they point to their experience with Brave as this pivotal moment for them, where they went from being in this journey, on their mental health journey, having had struggles, having had challenges, and they hit that point, they spent that, did that time with Brave. And that really did give them the self-confidence. It changed the narrative for wow. them and put them on a path that was more firmly in recovery, more firmly in, in self-empowerment. And so when I hear testimonies like that, I just really wanted to be a part of that and bring that energy to the world. It, it was weird how I stepped away entirely from that vision board and that idea and always thinking about my goals to stepping into something that actually took me towards in the direction of that goal. There's a whole lot to being open, you know, your founder calling you for coffee instead of just dropping it in the mail, you saying yes, right. like just showing up sometimes is a lot and you never know where it's going to take us on these paths. So you're talking about how transformative the Brave experience is for a lot of the participants. Like, what is a Brave show like? Well, some people think it's going to be really sad and hard to an audience member, for example, if you've never seen one. And what I think you'll find is they are incredibly uplifting and powerful. And yeah, you'll laugh at times and you'll cry at times, maybe. It's something on paper that it's hard to really comprehend. 
you have to go see a show. And even during the pandemic, when we switched to virtual shows, I thought this isn't going to convey. But I even think virtual shows, you get it. It's incredible. Somebody standing in front of you, putting their heart out, sharing about this thing that maybe they've never spoken of in this way in their own circles. Now they're standing on a stage in a spotlight, sharing their story, offering hope and inspiration for others who may be going through something similar. It's really very powerful. And you know, I walk on cloud nine every time we finish a show. It's amazing. So now I just want to, when you were doing the virtual editions during the pandemic, were you still going to a theater? Like were people on an actual stage or was it remote storytelling via like Zoom or something like that? For Mission Story Slam, we did a couple of virtual slams. And I think our audiences definitely enjoyed themselves. Though of course, we miss being in a room together. But I think for the storytellers, just not getting that immediate feedback of applause and, you know, even yeah. just looking out into an audience, you're just looking out at a computer screen. It's a very different experience yeah. from the telling perspective. Yes. And, you know, we had a show go off in New Hampshire and basically like every storyteller brought a little pot of people and they had their little clusters. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so I, but the people were able to stay, to be on the stage and perform and have some feedback from the audience. But then ultimately, it was edited together into a virtual show that was presented online and shared online. And then yes, the only feedback they really get in that setting is the chat section when it's going through, we do it on a platform where people can chat and give feedback that way. And you know, affirmation is a really big part of what This Is My Brave is all about. When people tell their stories, the one way that we normalize those conversations is by just celebrating them. Sure. And so I think that probably like you, when the pandemic happened, we thought this virtual thing is going to be something that we do just to be able to offer support by sharing stories, even during the pandemic, even virtually. But we really did think once the pandemic's over and we can put people back in theaters, that'll be it. We'll just do live shows. And then it became obvious to us that there is value to virtual programming and there is a way to do it that it's it can be a win-win. We'll have the live show. We'll live stream it. I really can't wait to see how it works in the long term. And then we also will offer virtual programming. We have two virtual shows planned for the fall for topics that are a little bit more universal and that allow us to draw storytellers from around the country and then audience members from around the country. So we're doing one in September for college athletes. And then we'll round out the season in November by doing a virtual veterans show. So we'll share the stories of That's really great. veterans. We've that's been on our list of things to do for a long time. But of course, there's veterans in every corner of this nation. And so we want to hear from folks from all over. I think that's great. We've worked with multiple veteran service organizations and are always in awe of our veterans, but also moved by the work that's being done. So I'm really glad that you're putting together an event yeah, around we're that. We're excited about both of those. So I did want to ask you, like, it's, there are other types of performances in addition to storytelling, right? Or what kind of performances or art have you had on stage? Typically, we have original song or poetry or creative essays. We do have dance. We have stand-up comics who talk about wow. their stand -up experiences. stand-up comics and a 
mental illness and recovery, that's going to be, that's going to go two different directions. I would hate to see them bomb, That that would be a tough, tough moment to be. Well, you know, we do work together with the storytellers. Okay. And of course, our mission is to present the hopeful, positive, uplifting side to let people know that there is hope in their circumstances, that recovery is possible, that restoring balance and a normal life can happen, even if you've been diagnosed with something. I have to say, and I'm not trying to just make this about Mission Story Slam, but like that whole experience you're talking about in terms of the impact on storytellers or the impact on audience members, very different thing that we're doing. But when we bring people together from all these communities that are trying to make a difference, like I, I often talk about the fact that you run a nonprofit, like it is hard work trying to make change, trying to do good in the world. And just that hearing someone else's story can help our group as in when we're together in a room. And I also know from experience that telling those stories can really help give context, like looking back in that rearview mirror to structure something as a story really help, often helps me think about, oh yeah, that experience was really important or was moving, or I feel good about that, or I can learn from that by going through that process. And I just, I think humans, humanity is wired for story. You have some people who come who maybe, you know, when they start talking about their own experiences are shut down, like people, oh, I, I don't want to hear about that, or that makes you a bad person. And so they hesitate to speak openly. And when you can craft a piece and you get to tell the whole story start to finish without interruption. You get to decide where the story is going to start, the trajectory of that story, that plot line that you're going to right. share, and where you're going to end that. And that's yours to craft. And you get your five minutes on stage to do that. That's where I think the empowerment comes from. You're, nobody's telling you not to. We support them in the process. That I think is very, very empowering. Having some guidance, I think, during that storytelling process, because I think everybody is capable of telling a story, but not everybody's necessarily a, immediately a natural storyteller. So I think giving that support, I think, particularly with your content, makes a tremendous amount of sense. Yeah. Um, Admission Story Slam, we give no support. We tell people five minutes, true story. We'll ring a bell when you run what? over. That's, That's it. it. It's live. It's, and, and and we're drinking. So uh, not everybody, <laughs> but those who choose to, we're at a, we're at a brewery, uh, which helps us get more I volunteers. I just would like to say there's, yeah, there's no alcohol at, at This Is My Brave events, just so you know. It's, it's a community guidance role. <laughs> I think that's probably a good move, giving your working with people in the recovery community. I think it's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, let's make sure we give everybody the URL for the This Is My Brave website so they can find out about those virtual slams. So what what is the URL for Brave? It's thisismybrave.org. And then if people in the Philadelphia region want to get information, eventually get tickets for the October 9th, This Is My Brave show at the Ambler Theater, where would they do that? They can go to Facebook and see the Philly Facebook page for This Is My Brave. And that is facebook.com forward slash T-I-M-B Philly. Cool. Excellent. Listen, I just want you to know... I we at PWP are really excited that we get to partner with you on that show at the Ambler. We're excited to be a sponsor in that way. What are different ways that people can engage and support This Is My Brave in addition to attending shows and obviously making donations, but what are some of the ways that people can engage? We have ways to give on our page, but there's also opportunities. Being a part of Jay Walkers, for example, and then next spring we do Brave the Storm. That's another virtual 5K. We have a blog. You know, storytelling saves lives. We really are trying to um, 
find a way for people to share stories both on our stage and off the stage. So there's opportunities to share your story, even if there's not a brave show in your community. And um, so if you sign up for the newsletter, you'll find out about those opportunities. There's a contact us form. If you have something in mind right away, you can reach out and tell us all about it. We have a pretty engaged audience and a lot of people that are listening are active, either volunteers, advocates, or work in the nonprofit sector. So hopefully we'll have some people that want to be engaged with This Is My Brave and might have some cool ideas too. And listen, since I have you here, I just want to put you on the spot and see if there's any chance that you would like to come up to Philly and tell a story on September 21st when we do the theme of Thrive at our Story Slam. Oh, you can check your calendar and get back to me off offline. I yes, okay, great. The it's a thrive theme. Yep. Okay, we yeah we All do. Right. I like a good theme. I love a I love some some boundaries that actually helps me to flourish a little bit. When you give me the framework, that works well for me. So I could give that some thought. Our producer Dave Winston is very good at coming up with good themes. Mm. He is a multi winning story slam storyteller. He's great. And by the way, I'm going to be quoting you with Storytelling Saves Lives. Thank you for that. Yeah, please do. Hashtag Storytelling Saves Lives. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So listen, Aaron, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Mission Story Slam podcast. And I was really moved to learn about Jay and your family and the loss, but also your journey of advocacy and how you are using that power of storytelling to save lives. So I really do hope that I get to meet you in person, either Maybe at the Philadelphia This Is My Brave show, or Mm -hmm. maybe at Yards Brewing on September 21st. It could happen. All right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll consider it. And there's another group showing up here that I really want to thank, which is our audience. You are the reason we created Mission Story Slam and this podcast. We are inspired by our community of do-gooders and missionaries, and we love hearing from you. So besides actually releasing more new episodes... Please let us know how we can make this podcast better. We'd love to hear about how storytelling keeps you engaged with your mission and work. And you can just send us ideas for themes for future slams or podcast guests. So reach out to us through our website, missionstoryslam.org, or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And please start prepping your winning stories now for Mission Story Slam 7 with the theme of Thrive, and get your tickets to join us at Yards Brewing on Wednesday, September 21st from the link on missionstoryslam.org. In the meantime, please share this podcast with friends and colleagues you think would enjoy what we're doing at Mission Story Slam. And if you like this podcast, check out another pod we're producing at PWP Video. The Mission Business Podcast from your part-time controller LLC highlights professionals and stories from the nonprofit sector and beyond. It's hosted by YPTC managing partner Jennifer Oliva, And the show weaves together fascinating interviews with nonprofit leaders and other unique segments from other members of the YPTC team. The Mission Story Slam podcast is produced by Dave Winston, and it's brought to you by PWP Video. We are video with a mission. Find us at pwpvideo.com. So we'll be back since we have a backlog of episodes with something new. But until then, I'm Michael Schweisheimer, and I do look forward to sharing the next story behind the story with you soon.